This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Okay, something really important before the episode begins. I want you to become a bone marrow donor. So text AMAZING, the word AMAZING, to 50555 or go to dkms.org slash 100 words for a free swab kit. What does that mean? You put a little Q-tip in your mouth and then you send it back to them. And what they do is they will match you and potentially save someone's life with your Super, super simple process. It's unbelievable. I've been a bone marrow donor before, and it's an incredible experience. You're, you you save someone's life. Come on. So please, text AMAZING to 50555 or go to dkms.org slash 100 words, and they will email you a kit. It's super simple. And like I said, it helps someone save their life. Do it up. Well, hello, everybody. I'm Ray Harkins, and you are listening to a show called 100 Words or Less. Thank you for joining us on this fine afternoon, evening, morning, whenever you're listening to it. Hopefully in the car, maybe you're working out, maybe you're reading a book. I can't do that. Like, I can't work and listen to a podcast because it just throws me off. But that's not why we're here. Podcast listening habits don't necessarily, well, they interest me, but not to the extent of where we should be talking as long as we are about this. But what we are here to do is discuss independent music with a person who is involved with it, whether they're playing in a band, working at a record label, doing many other things surrounding it, or have taken all the principles that they've learned from this whole independent DIY music scene and apply it to different areas of their life. This person today is the epitome of that. James Vitalo, a friend of mine, friend of the show. Well, I guess technically they're one of the same, but he is a vocalist for a band called Backtrack, and he's also a manager at Good Fight Management. Uh, it works with bands like uh, Turnstile, uh, and he's uh, I know he's looking to pick up a few others, but uh, he's a busy dude within hardcore and punk rock, and um, I was very excited to have him on because uh, him and I have run across each other uh, for a couple years, and uh, we've only become uh, friendly over the past, I'd say, two or three, and um, there are many instances where I should maybe not like this dude, <laughs> because as you'll come to see when we have our uh, you know opening introduction for the uh, interview, is that, uh, yeah, he was present at one of the most traumatic events of my life, so nice lead-in, right? So, Anyways, more on that in a few moments, but uh, let's get some uh, some pleasantries out of the way. So uh, for those of you that uh, want to contribute to the show, just use the Amazon affiliate code, and you can find that in the show description, show notes you that are on any podcast listener that you use. And so just click on that, save it on your desktop, save it on your phone, wherever it is you do your Amazon shopping, and the show gets a kickback from that. So please continue to do that or do it for the first time. Also, review the show. Come on, guys. I want to see some reviews coming in because it's been a little slow as of late. So I would appreciate it if I saw some reviews. So thank you for that. And then, um, yeah, just had a nice little trip up to Portland. Beautiful, beautiful city. Got to hang out with my wife up there for a couple days, do some adulting, you know, away from the kiddo. And um, it was really, really nice. It reminded me how special this whole thing is because um, when I say this whole thing, I mean music because I got to uh, see a lot of friends up there that were uh, the only reason I know them is because of music. And it was uh, it was awesome. So way to go, Portland. Way to be a good city. And um, yeah, nothing much else besides the fact that, uh, yeah, my house is still for sale and it's chaotic and crazy, but, um, you know, a lot of moving parts, but uh, hopefully someone buys it and uh, yeah, then I'll be able to move. (laughs) 
So that's that. But here's my discussion with James Vitalo. And um, yeah, he's just a, a very hardworking dude. And uh, we go to a lot of places as far as like, you know, because he definitely ran into a few points of it in his life where he was like, I don't know if I should be doing this anymore. Maybe I should just be, you know, getting a regular job. Um, it, it, to make it clear, too, there's a, at one point we kind of talk about um, Starbucks in general and like using that as an example of someone getting, you know, a real job. Uh, we don't mean that to be demeaning in any capacity. So I just want to make that abundantly clear. Baristas, we love them. So, and they are an incredibly important part of our culture and our coffee consumption. So I just want to make sure no one's like reading into that scenario. Um, and that uh, James and I actually spoke about that after we stopped recording and it was like, oh yeah, let's make sure that that sounded okay. And it it does, but I'm just trying to, you know, make sure that no one's uh, interpreting it any other way. So Starbucks for life. Anyways, here's my discussion with James and I will talk to you after the episode is over. I'm, I'm gonna come off hot, not in a bad come way. Come off hot. Let's go. So the because you you indirectly are tied to one of the worst <laughs> moments in my life. Oh, wow, yeah. that's funny. You, you you maybe know where this is going. I uh, know uh, for sure. <laughs> where obviously Sound and Fury 2011. Are we live right now? We are live. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I dive right in. Cool. Um, so yeah, Sound and Fury 2011. Um, obviously, you guys are playing your normal set as you normally do. Yep. And then a motorcycle drives in and obviously uh-huh. does the whole circle around the pit. And I, so I'll, I'll I was sitting out front doing because I was primarily the ticket sales dude. Yeah. Did you have long hair at the time? Uh, I remember a long hair guy ye- yelling at me who was involved. Oh no, and- I wasn't. Okay. I was yeah. I basically I was out front, and yeah. so because I knew you for a while, and then yeah, I met you formally for the first time. Two years ago? Two years ago, yeah, But yeah. I was always wondering if, like, the guy Ray Harkins was the long-haired guy that yelled at me. I never had long hair. Like, I always had generally, like, this length of hair. So, okay. yeah, that, I'm trying That's to think of length. who that would be. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. So, the, so someone ran out and was like, hey, so, that you know, there, uh, a motorcycle came in. And I was like, what? I don't even, it doesn't even make any sense. So, I ran in. And whatever. And then I started to come around the corner of the stage. And obviously that's when I, I, I saw or heard glass break. And at that point I was like, okay, so like something is wrong. So I remember going outside because I was like, well, clearly I'm not going to get in the middle of whatever's happening over there. So mm-hmm. I call it was, you know, I, I never had to make that call to 911 to be like, Hey, so can you send a lot of police down here? Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, crazy. but it, so all, all, all that transpired and obviously like the, I'm not directly connecting you to why that happened, obviously, because yeah. a lot of people immediately were like, Oh, friends with backtrack did that or whatever. And like, mm-hmm. anyways, the, the question in there was the fact like, you know, th- that was such a, uh, a focal point of the internet for, you know, a good couple months after the fact that happens and still to yeah. this day people randomly bring really? it up to me yeah which is i mean it's not as much of a thing obviously but you know how like was it obviously weird to be kind of at the the center of that and was it weird for you to kind of like you know sort of receive that feedback from people being like oh is that your friend like let's get to the bottom of this drama or whatever or yeah. were you were you just kind of ignoring it because you're just like well it wasn't us obviously honestly man it was so weird because and has the truth come out like does Who everyone know who it is? Or? 
Okay, you know what? I'll assume that it hasn't, so I won't address them. But right. <laughs> here's here's what happened, and I mean, I think I think to, to answer your question, I think everybody within the context of our scene knows. Okay, but that, I'll, I'll leave the name out. Right. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, I can narrow it down without having to name specifics. But sure. First off, it was fucking frustrating, man. I mean, it was like yeah, we drove. That tour was a nightmare. We did a tour with Fire and Ice and Dead Empath, and that was when everyone was 100% backtrack. It was our full-time thing. Like We were missing job opportunities. Right. All our girlfriends hated us. We were touring full-time just because we loved it. Sure. Losing money every single time. We had just bought a van, and the transmission blew out about seven shows in, and we were stuck in Kansas for a few days, and we were like, well, do we cancel the tour and go home or do we make it out you know oh i think i vaguely remember you guys being pick stuck. up the pieces yeah. and and get out there you know because right. playing sound and fury was the fucking dream right so we uh we're playing saturday of the fest we wound up taking a couple hours to figure out what, what we were going to do and then we rented a car us and fire and i rented two cars maybe three and drove from kansas to santa barbara which was brutal probably what 20 hours yeah that's a that's a and fair Got there Friday, saw Down Presser. I was stoked, seeing all of our friends. Happy to be there. Then we finally played. No, actually, we played on Sunday. You played on so Sunday, We played yeah. on Sunday. We play for about two and a half minutes. Right. And then the motorcycle comes in. And I remember seeing it, and I was like, huh, that's, that's weird. weird. <laughs> and then the whole, you know, everybody knows what happened. Then the whole yeah. fest got shut down. And on one side, it's like, yeah, some of my friends were doing some funny stuff, and it's hilarious. And also, I'll ride for my friends till I die. So if that bump some people out in the band i'm not gonna be like well we had nothing to do but it was more a bummer because we drove so fucking long right. so far right and played for a minute and a half and I, I remember this is when like every shirt sale was like literally fucking yeah make li- or life break. and death make yep. or break and there was a line of kids trying to buy merch when the whole like after the security thing kind of died yeah. down when people were clearing out and there was a line of kids trying to buy backtrack merch and i was selling the merch and i just took one hand and wiped all the merch off the table and I was like thanks guys you know really yeah just was so discouraged yeah so it was yeah it was a brutal I mean the uh it was rough man I remember that was a crazy time in my life too because I remember I got home from that tour uh-huh. and I had zero dollars in my bank account and my mom was nice enough to lend me like three hundred dollars so I could eat in that tour and then after that tour I started like telemarketing and I was like I went to like financial survival mode. I was like, I'm not going to go on tour and have to fucking borrow money from people to eat. Right. So then I started analyzing things and kind of started. That's when I started like. So really, so when you, when, when that you, was like the eye opener where I was like, I love playing in a hardcore band. I love going on tour, but backtrack is constantly losing money. We lost money like our first like six tours. Like I don't think we even made a dollar until our LP was out, which is crazy. Right. And when I say a dollar, I mean like. A per diem or a buyout. Right, you got you know? $10 a day, right? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, after that tour, that tour was crazy for a lot of reasons. I remember after that tour, I kind of reevaluated everything and I was like, I need to be smarter if I'm going to keep doing this. Interesting. So, so that, that was kind of, that was a real big turning point for you. Yeah, it was a big turning point for sure. Yeah. It's, but yeah, it was just so, it was so funny because it was, uh, it definitely was one of those things where, uh, I mean, I was really glad that it happened when it did obviously Sunday late in the day, yeah. like, because I was fully expecting the next day, the outpouring of kids hitting us up being like, Hey, so can we have refunds? And I was like, like, I don't, I'm not even prepared to hear children asking for their money back where it's just like, dude, you got, you know, a good 90% of the bands in. And, but I remember the most heartbreaking moment was like, you know, 
Carl, the singer of Earth Crisis, like one of the most influential bands to me coming up to me because they, they were supposed to play after, I think either right after you guys or even a little bit later. But they were like, hey, so is do you know of any shows happening tonight? And I was like, oh my God, you guys flew out here. Like the same thing yeah. as what you went through where it was just yeah, like sure. all this shit happening. And it was like, you just don't, when things like that happen and you're not like running something, you know, everyone's just like, oh, that kind of sucks. And then you move right on. But it's like yep. all of the bands that were impacted, like all of the, the human emotions of anguish that we're going through from, like you said, your perspective of just like, fuck dude. Like, yeah, I, we're out of here <laughs> in hindsight. Kind of fucking hilarious. It's but it, yeah, of course. That, Pers- we can say that years later when the, right. <laughs> the smoke settles a little bit. You know? I, and I just I was ultimately glad too that it was like the uh, any sort of repercussions in regards to like the you know Earl Warren and everything like that. Like they understood that it wasn't like on anybody. Yeah. you know, from our end of things, it was cool. You guys were able to go back and do totally. It again, you know, and it was even funnier where I'm sure you heard the fact that they were trying to uh, pin it on Davey Havoc from AFI. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man, we well there was a bunch of rumors going around. Totally, we definitely fed into them too. We started a rumor that we broke up from the backtrack Twitter or something. Oh, we nice. said like, "Hey guys, thanks, but I don't think we'll be able to top that performance." So <laughs> that's it. Yeah, so we started that, and then we actually were on tour, so we played. Um, I think it was Common Grounds in mm. Riverside. Mm-hmm. We played a show. You know, maybe the the following. Wednesday or something. Yeah. And we were all, we had a day off, so we were playing wiffle ball in Santa Barbara. Sure. With all like the down presser minus guys. And we thought it would be funny if they started a rumor that Violation was playing the show. And that was the, the year before, because Violation had a reunion the year after. The year after, yeah, yeah, yeah. So at this time, Violation playing was like the craziest Whoa, thing. Whoa, right. Yeah. So Especially that area. Yeah. I remember Dan from <laughs> Down Presser tweeted, this is, this is the only thing he did, and it just spread like wildfire. He said, I can't believe Violation is playing the Backtrack show on Wednesday. Oh, my god! And then we played last, and after we played, there was probably like 30 kids up front waiting for another band to play. And they were like just expecting Violation, and they were just fucking pissed off. They were just let down. Throwing tomatoes at us and stuff. <laughs> oh, really? No, not really. Oh, I was gonna say, I'm like, just saying. Wow. Like, <laughs> no. I was like, that's, uh, that's pulling back from like the 1920s. Yeah. <laughs> that's my go-to reference. If someone thinks that I suck, they just throw tomatoes at They throw at tomatoes at you. I like that, though. That's good. Yeah, I use that a lot, so... <laughs> Oh, that's good. Oh, I'm, I'm glad we cleared that up so I'm yeah. not like, people are throwing a lot of tomatoes at you. <laughs> no, no tomatoes yet. Um, and so you, you uh, tried, tried and true East Coast dude, like as far as like my impression of you, like where were you born? Uh, Long Island. Okay. Long Island, New York. Right. So Strong Island you mean, right? That's or right. Do, you, do, you have, do you ever call it that right. or is that? Uh... Uh, no, I only referenced that in the, the Madball song, Stand right. Up New York, and he goes, Strong Island, are you with me? Right, right. That's the only time. <laughs> I just, it's one of those things where it's like you hear certain terms for certain areas and you're just like, do people on the outside call it that or nah. is it only people on the inside that? That's an outsider thing for sure. Yeah. I think. I right. And so the impression, the impression that I always got of Long Island, because I, I, I played a decent amount of shows there. Um, when I was touring with Taken, we always played, uh, God, Backstreet Blues. That was like a... Yeah, that's that's actually the town that I was born in. So I was born there, and then I moved about an hour east away oh, from the city. okay. So when I was young, on like the 14, 15-year-old era, I was able to have my mom drive me to shows, and she would go and see like my grandma. Mm-hmm. She dropped me off at Backstreet Blues, and then go see my gran- gran- like grandparents. So it worked out well. I, I saw Taking Back Sunday there when they had a demo. Yeah. I saw... Yeah, I saw... Coed and Cambria on their first LP, which is cool. And that's like a, a 300 cap room. So Dude, think yeah. about those bands where they're playing now. Right. I saw No Warning there in Chromax. I saw 
Norma Jean, Hope's Vault, 18 Visions. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, it had a mirrored ceiling, too, right? Do you they remember cha- that? They changed the place oh, okay. so much. Because the, the place that I remember is basically it kind of went down into a basement. Go downstairs, yeah. Okay, yeah. I just remember how weird it was because it's like looking up, it was all like a mirrored ceiling. And mm-hmm. it was definitely just like, this is like this is not meant for sh- like aggressive yeah. music shows. That's crazy because that's like my starting point. So for you to mention... Yeah, that I just venue is crazy. I remember, like, I remember how cool those shows were too, because it was like we always played with like this day forward, um, or yeah. we would always tour, and so like we definitely played. We played with Taking Back Sunday there. It's mm-hmm. like Taking Back Sunday Thursday from Autumn to Ashes. Wait, yeah, no, okay, I saw a show. It was Ensign from Autumn to Ashes. Okay, yeah, we didn't play that. Taking one. Back Sunday Thursday. That was at the Sahara in Syosset. Oh, okay, yeah. and that was I know American Nightmare played there before. Right, it was like a pretty popular venue at the time as well it's just it's what i always found really really cool about long island was the fact that obviously there was a large sense of pride about any shows that were being put on there and obviously a lot of bands that came from there sonically had nothing to do with one another but they all were yeah the spectrum of bands that played together was insane i loved it yeah i mean like tom from straight from the past like one of my best friends and we grew up in the same scene and i mean backtracking straight from the path are kind of like yeah, very opposite different. Si- very different, you know, opposite sides of the spectrum. And there was an era on Long Island when, like, Antarabe was a band and a love for enemies, like, you know, metalcore, Christian metalcore, and then, like, Subterfuge and Strongpoint would play together. Right. And the backup plan. The backup plan, right. It's like, that's an insane show, and that would happen regularly. Right. So, yeah. It, it's yeah, it's v- cool. I think, like, a Long Island hardcore kid has a very weird brain, honestly. Like, mm-hmm. can't describe it any, any other way. It's like... They're into so many different things that you'd never assume that they're into, you know? Right. So I always like, because, yeah, there's very few areas that have that sort of, like, it's like, I look at, it's like Long Island, like Louisville. Like, there's certain pockets, like Southern California is another one, where it was like bands that didn't sound alike played together. And, and granted, what's, I know. What's the Louisville history? What, well, we just Louisville as far as, like, initial records and, like, okay. you know, Boyce, oh, yeah, like, yeah. whatever. Boyce Says Fire would sure, come through sure. on tour, and then yeah, they would yeah. play with, you know, Elliot and different bands. But um I just I look at those different pockets and it was obviously so special and so of that time because obviously like you said bands that didn't sound alike played together or mm-hmm. bands that would be so different from one another would be like well they're still my friends like you know they might be into something that I'm not into but they're yeah. still my friends you know and you, so you felt that pretty quickly like once you started to go to shows yeah start- definitely there was no I went to shows for probably a year before I even knew the difference between hardcore and metalcore yeah so that's the cool answer is yes right. <laughs> And how, what was your uh, family structure like? You know, brothers and sisters? I had a brother, younger brother, younger sister. Oh, you were the, you were the trailblazer. Yeah. Um, It's funny. My brother was in like a metalcore band and it was crazy because they'd play shows with like the hardcore bands. Like bands like, he was in a band called The Red Dream and they were like. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember it. Didn't Okay, didn't they put they put something out on a label, didn't they? I don't know. You know okay. what's weird? They actually had like a major label interested in them, and I think they wound up not wanting to do it or wanting to get their shit together or yeah. something like that. But they would play with bands like Caught Up and Another Day, which were like local hardcore bands that sounded like Bane and sure. Warning, you know? So, okay. Yeah, I mean... That's cool. So that, you, that's he, that's another whole like <laughs> later era of Long Island hardcore that was so like mixed together. Right. So, and so he, yeah. I presume he was obviously influenced by seeing kind of what you were doing. Yeah, I was. It was weird because, like I said, I went to shows for probably a year before I even knew the difference between metal and hardcore. And then I kind of, I went more in like the straight up hardcore direction. I remember mm-hmm. I saw Bane, and I got it all comes down to this, and I was like, that was a pivotal record for me. Yeah, kind of. And I never was like, fuck metalcore, that's whack. You know, I liked 
like some 18 visions records were cool and i liked yeah. i always thought every time i die was a really cool band mm-hmm. but then i kind of went more into like you know started becoming straight edge and then then really started diving into like gorilla biscuits and minor threat and like right stuff like that and my brother we're going to the same shows but certain things would he would gravitate he would towards gra- he would gravitate towards you know and he got into stuff that i never really got into like i remember Dead to fall and stuff Oh like yeah, that. yeah. And I was like Of course mm, Yeah yeah not, not for me Yeah not really But it was cool Cause like He was into his thing I was into my thing His band would play I would go to the beach And then I'd go see his band Fucking mosh my ass off Then see Caught Up Who sounds like No Warning Who's like my actual Like that was like my band When I was younger I'd get in the van Or like the car with them Whenever they played uh-huh. But it was cool It was like the same Same thing you know That's really same cool kind of shows. Everyone would go to shows Everybody would gamble Every, that was a huge part of Long Island Hardcore. I remember when I was younger, I would there was a guy, it was called State of Mind Distro, and they bring CDs to the show. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would always like roll dice at shows. Like I had a job, and this kind of gets back to my family structure, which we kind of yeah, went that's away fine. from. I'm no. a fucking punisher. I'm going to talk forever, no. so <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a straight-up punisher. That's fine. We're um, good. So State of Mind, you'd be rolling dice. Yeah, my parents, they, they owned a deli, and, and I have always wanted to work from like like, the second that I was able to talk, I was like, Mom, put me behind the register. Like, let me, like, this is, like, when I was, like, 12 or 13. I wanted right. to, to make some money so that I could buy CDs at shows. And I had a rule where I would never buy, because a lot of my friends that were, like, I had this one friend. His name was Chris Day, and he was, like, younger. He was, like, he was in my crew of kids that went to shows, and he was, like, always buying the cool shirts, and all the older kids loved him, and they didn't really give me the time of day. I was, like, the weird kid that wore the Every Time I Die shirt to every show. But sure. I had a rule that... I wouldn't buy a shirt of a band unless I had all of their uh, albums like on CD or vinyl. Wow. Like, it was like a really weird, like borderline OCD rule, but I was, sure. like, I was like, but you're like, this rule makes sense I, to me. I was me. like, I'm not going to buy a band shirt unless I have Give Blood. It all comes down to this and the seven inch. Like, yeah. There's no way. And then I have other friends that would just buy every shirt and not have the record. And I think that like to them, it was like, I mean, it fucking shows like right. they were six month faces and I'm 28 and I'm still in the hardcore. So right. I was like, my golden rule. Well, that's so, I, I really I, I like that you mentioned that because it's like you you built this this structure up in your mind where it was like this is what I feel is being supportive. <laughs> like not only am I being supportive by obviously like buying the band's material, but it's just like this is going to show my fandom. If I'm wearing a shirt from a band, I'm into like I am fully into this yeah. because I own everything. <laughs> I guess that does put a lot more weight in me wearing a shirt at that time which I didn't even think about that yeah it's like you're it's like I'm wearing a shirt it means that I have the whole you've leveled up right yeah totally you're like I'm level six level six yeah of this band because I am wearing their shirt yeah that's amazing reason why I say that state of mind had their distro and every show was just like bands playing people watching during the break people rolling like rolling dice playing cards it was was crazy CeeLo I presume CeeLo yeah it was insane like a lot of the older dudes and this is kind of skipping generations they'd work at like underground casinos which i wound up doing for a while in the early backtrack era and that was okay. how i was able to tom score. did that too correct tom did that me tom our friend mookie did that and that was like it just trickled down <laughs> to like we were like, all a bunch of fucking degenerate gamblers that went to hardcore shows and ate pizza right for like strictly it was insane <laughs> right so i would always roll dice and any any money that i made rolling dice i would go buy cds nice state of mind. i got like the no warning seven inch on CD, like sure. like the the Martyr Records yeah, CD yeah. release, and about the the Murder Weapon. Well, this is like jump jumping errors, but like the Murder Weapon seven inch on CD, and like Down to Nothing Save It for the Birds. Yep. 
I'm, I'm bouncing through <clears throat> errors because this is like, I haven't even thought about this in so long. You're like crying out like my Yeah, early, all these golden memories, right? Yeah. <laughs> but I remember I would like work in my parents' deli, yeah. make, you know, whatever, whatever I had, I'd go pay for the show and try to gamble and turn it into, <laughs> turn it into so multiple could, CDs. So I could buy CDs, yeah. Right, right. Well, I, 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 I like that because it's like, it shows, you strike me, and we're jumping around with the questions I was going to ask you, but like, you've always struck me as a person, um, where like you're, you're driven and like not driven in like a way where you're just like, Oh, I'm going to like crush everybody on the quote unquote way up or whatever. Like, but you're driven in the sense of like, you obviously you did a lot of the business connected to backtrack yeah. and you did a lot of, you know, the booking and obviously, you know, you book bands and like all these things, like, cause not everybody's cut out for that. Yeah. And, and it's, it's honestly, I mean, I don't want to talk too much, but this, this week is the first time where I've been like taking a step back. I'm like, damn, should I fucking apply at Starbucks? Like, you're right. Like not everybody's cut up for it. No. And it's, it can be mentally taxing. Not told- to, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into this more down the line, you know, but yeah, like, yeah. we'll get back to the, the driven thing, which I appreciate that. I yeah. Mean, that's like, that comes from my parents being so fucking sick and strong and always struggling financially mm-hmm. and just seeing that and and that's like where i got my work ethic from you know like like i remember it's weird like you ha- have situations growing up and then you see years years later you kind of reflect on it like my parents always struggled for money they always they had they owned a deli that was like breaking even or losing money i remember that like we were stuck there a lot mm-hmm. on weekends and after school and that's when i'd be like you know let me get behind the register like yeah, cut, cut do- your staff and this is like a 12 year old like <laughs> Cut someone, yeah, yeah. get Save. me behind there. Let me like Yeah, pay me just, half of whatever you're yeah, paying. Let me right. just like hustle a little bit so I can go to hardcore shows and buy right. CDs and yeah. find out who the fuck I am, you know? Hey, real talk here for a minute. So at the very beginning of the show, you heard me talk about bone marrow donation and blood cancer, and these are terrifying things. And I while I personally have not been afflicted by any of these diseases or any of my family members. It's it's something that I can't imagine where you're sitting there on a waiting list looking for a perfect match for you because they, they can't just obviously take bone marrow from somebody and put it in somebody else because obviously there's a lot of I'm not gonna pretend to know the science, so don't 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 hold me to any of this. But you know, your body rejects certain blood types, that sort of stuff. So what I am urging you to do is be a donor like me. So what I've done is you, you get this awesome little kit sent to you in the mail. And you can get that kit by text AMAZING, A-M-A-Z-I-N-G, to the number 50555, or go to dkms.org slash 100 words. And what you'll be able to do is they'll send you a little swab kit. And what I mean by that, it's a little something, a little like Q-tip you put in your mouth, you send it back to them, and then they put you as a part of the registry. Who knows? You may not even be able to quote unquote help in regards to a perfect match, but if you do... It's one of the best experiences that you'll ever have in your life because I was able to do this and it was a great experience. Like basically went to a local hospital, you know, they, they, they took the bone marrow from me. It was a painless process. There was really no uh, downside to it whatsoever. And the fact that I knew that I was going to be saving a person's life, are you kidding me? That weighs heavy. So and heavy in a good way. So please, like I said, go to dkms.org backslash 100 words or the phone that you're listening on right now text amazing a-m-a-z-i-n-g to 50555 and then they'll send you a swab kit 
and then you will be able to save someone's life. Please, because who knows? It could happen to you. It could happen to your family. It could happen to your friends. And if you're not a part of this registry, you aren't able to help. So please do it up now. Did you? And so like you, and you always, you always struck me too as um, uh, a personable guy in the sense of like, because I, I obviously, like I mentioned earlier, like, you know, I, there's nobody that would meet you that would be like, oh yeah, you like you're from the West Coast. Like you have obviously sort of an East Coast mentality and like the way that you you the way that you carry yourself. Um, I've, I've never looked at it like that. I'm sure. I, I mean, because I it's, guess that's a weird thing to say about yourself. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because I mean, I think the, the the difference between I mean, from what I've seen, obviously from East Coast to West Coast people, um, is not so much in the fact that like you know you're walking around being like. Like, oh, I'm a, I'm a tough guy, you know, like that, yeah, but that. right, exactly. But there is, there is a sort of a hardened character that happens with people that are, you know, born and raised in these coasts hmm. because it's yeah, a lot more, that. there's a lot, I mean, going through the winter is tough as it is. You right. Know, that's it, like, exactly. And it's, so it's like, and then the people on the West coast, like, you know, we just, I mean, we have one, one style of weather and that's sunny and yeah. like, that's it. So the, it's, I, it's fucking great. It's right. good to be here. I'll tell you that. <laughs> it is. Um, but I, so Anyways, with that being said, it's like I, I've you kind of strike me as a person who's obviously been able to kind of meld these two personalities where it's like, you know, the sort of West Coast and East Coast thing um, hmm. <clears throat> in ways that, you know, some people just like, you know, if they do end up moving out to California, because everybody that visits California is always like, oh, I want to be there. It looks fucking amazing. Yeah, for sure. Especially bands coming through on tour. Where they're I just was like, the first time Backtrack played Santa Barbara. I was like, this is where I want to live. And all right. my friends from Santa Barbara were like, yeah, we'll fucking believe it when we see it. Right. And then I was like, what's up now, motherfucker? You know, like. Right. <laughs> Here I am. So. <laughs> well, because a lot of people are just like, yeah, they say one thing and then they can't execute. Yeah. I mean, I think everybody that comes here says, yeah, I want to move here. And then a small percentage. Right. Want up doing it. So. <laughs> right. And so and what made you make that move? Obviously. Um, I always wanted to do it. I just didn't want to. I didn't want it to be short term. I didn't want to be like on a whim. And, right. and back, I, I wanted to make sure Backtrack was at a point where we could still function and have exist you know? sure. and, and it was a financial thing too it was like i lived with my parents and toured you know backtrack toward like nine or ten months out of the year so getting getting my own place just didn't even make sense so mm-hmm. while we were touring and i was just you know saving up money i was dating a girl for a long time and we were kind of working things out and that was a huge part we went up it's kind of crazy trying to planning on moving together and then we broke up right before we both moved and then we both moved to, to the west coast that's then, just yeah. completely separate yeah was, yeah yeah but that was like a huge part of like i would have done it maybe years earlier <clears throat> but we were kind of like getting our you were ducks trying to in figure a, it out getting yeah. our ducks in a row like she had some stuff to figure out i had some stuff to figure out so we kind of figured it out made the move together and then broke up like right it's like <laughs> all right well we're gonna start driving and i was like see you so yeah you're like- which and that was like at the time a direct effect of backtrack just torn 10 months out of the year and, and me being you know, right. Selfish and maybe having uh, the blinders on for the long term vision and not thinking short term and sure being a like cult actually being a good guy and I'm not a good guy. It's not like on tour fucking girls, but maybe like realizing that we were touring so much and not thinking about right taking care of the relationship at home. Yeah, exactly. So, it's rough. Yeah. Well, I mean, dude, I always look at that time when you are touring so much. It's like you I mean touring is obviously not real life like you're no. in this sort of disembodied state of just yep. like checking in occasionally with people sure. and all you're doing when you get back home is like first of all trying to acclimate to being back home because mm-hmm. that takes like a week and then yeah. by the time that happens then you're on your way again where you're like, mm-hmm. I'm leaving another three weeks so it hardly gives you any time to be able to be like hey honey like you doing good yeah <laughs> it's so hard yeah, it's tough yeah. um 
And so what kind of kid did you find yourself being like, obviously, as you started to kind of get into independent music and going through high school and stuff like that? Like, well, first of all, two questions. So what kind of kid did you find yourself being? And like, what was sort of the intro point? You know, like, was it just kind of around and you started observing bands and shows and stuff like that? Or did it get like introduced to you via, you know, friends? Um, that's, that's a layered question. Cause, okay. And it's all good. It's ready for like 10 minutes of punishment. I mean, <laughs> in terms of the gateways yeah. for hardcore and punk, I, cause I feel like there's two questions like the gateway and then like, what kind of person were you? Yep. So oh, they are, I'll go, I'll go with the gateway first. Sounds um, good. My cousins were really into like punk stuff, like Blink One Eighty Two and Pennywise and like Propagandi and stuff sure. like that. And I just wanted to be like my cousins. And this is like we're talking nine, ten, yeah, ten years old, you know. And then they got me into a lot of punk stuff. Sure. And then all the Epitaph and Fat Records stuff. Yeah, Lagwagon, yeah, yeah. yep. no use for a name, stuff like that. I remember getting a bunch of uh, oh fuck, okay, right. Was, we'll call it too. <laughs> Um, yeah, MXPX. Like, we were all like huge MXPX heads, like New nice. Glory too. Like when of they course. first started, like well, when, I, especially those bands where it's like once you find one or two, you peel away the layer and you're just like yeah. And you look at the thank you list or you look at a, like a comp. And totally. Like, I remember I wrote every single band on the what was it? It was Fat Records Short Music for Short People. Of course. The one with, like the, the yeah. thirty second song. Totally. I wrote every single band on that. It was like kind of fucked up now that I think about it because even if I didn't love the band, I still wrote them. But it was just like. Because hey, they had their address. Right. I'm, I'm 11 years old and I got your comp and I think it's sick. I remember someone in Less Than Jake wrote me back and they were like, because I said my first concert ever was in 1999. It was Newfound Glory, Less Than Jake, mm-hmm. uh, Cooter, who wound up being autopilot off. Right. And then. I love that you have this knowledge. It makes me so happy. Yeah, it was cool too. Because like, do you know Troma? Yeah. Troma like sponsored it with uh what was it? Toxic not, Avenger. No, not Toxic the, Avenger. Okay. What was the one? Return to Newcomb High? No, the one like when they're on the movie set. Huh. I don't know. Okay. The one where they're but, on the but movie Troma set. But sponsored it. And I okay. remember there was like, that. that's just like, right. that memory just sticks with me. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. Just having yeah. a sponsor, like, a, like there's <laughs> underground music, but then there's underground horror movies too. It's totally. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, you're like, how do these worlds exist? It's yeah. amazing. Um. Got it. So your cousins, anyway, your cousins opened cousins the door. Cousins were the gateway, and then I went to a local show. This punk band called Ten Eighty played. Okay, they were like some weird band, and then I found out about pretty much like my gateway to hardcore was long, the Long Island local scene in the early two thousands was like insane. I, yeah. I don't know accurate numbers, but bands like Strong Point, Subterfuge, Gabriel, The Backup Plan, mm-hmm. Her Last Words, Antarabe. Yep. Um, well, it was all happening at that time. Yeah, and like it felt like there were shows every weekend mm-hmm. in the area where I lived, which was Suffolk County, which is you know pretty far away from New York City. Sure, it's his own thing, and it felt like there was three hundred kids at every show. It totally it was just insane. Yeah. And then, and then like once in a while, a touring band would play. Like I remember I saw Down to Nothing very early on when they had their first seven inch, and that was like holy fuck. Right. And then you know saw Bane, and then that was the gateway, and then it just sure. kind of all you know. Yeah, all sprung off from there. Yeah, and then I was just a dork, like looking at like thank you list. And this is before the internet was big, so it, yeah. it was just right doing doing the research, and then and then I got into like New York hardcore, and that was like a. Yeah, I remember, yeah. uh, in early high school, I, there was a record store called Looney Tunes in West Babylon, and I yep. walked there with my friend Tim, and we got I bought Outburst Smiles to Go on CD. I bought the Breakdown demo on CD. I was in ninth grade, and that was just like. Those two, like Outburst Breakdown, I'm a fanatic of both of them. Still. Right. Still. Right. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> so, yeah, that's like the gateway of how I got into everything and it kind of like sure. spiraled in. This is That's just like 
you know, general knowledge of hardcore and yeah, entry finding, points b- before touring or anything, which that's a whole nother kind of crazy story how I got started with that. Right. We can talk about later, maybe if we, if yeah. we still care about talking. <laughs> no, but so then the, what kind of person did you find yourself being like, you know, cause you, like you mentioned before, obviously you're an active dude. You like to play sports and stuff like that. Did you, yeah. did you play sports in high school? Like where did you kind well, of find yourself sitting? F- funny statistic. Um, I tried out for the baseball team. I made it. And then the first practice was like early on a Saturday mm-hmm. and I was out late seeing mental with my friends okay. and I got home at like five in the morning and I was like, well, I guess I'm not playing baseball. <laughs> and then I just like never showed up. And right. Then, guess I made this choice. <laughs> yeah. Which I, I made a lot of choices where I'm just like, that was fucking stupid. Right. Right. But, um, in terms of what kind of kid I was like, I think I'm a, I think I can confidently say that I'm like a good hearted person. I don't have like mm-hmm. malicious intent. But I was a bad kid for for a while. Like, you probably just you, you strike like, me as the, the kid that was doing like dumb shit and like not in a yeah, bad way where yeah. you were like really wrecking people's lives. But you were just probably doing yeah. Well, it was like it was the kind of thing where maybe certain things influenced me. Like I remember I saw the Warriors and that just like ruined it for me. Where I was like I want to be out all night with my friends, breaking stuff. <laughs> right. Never like fighting. Yeah. Like I got I got in one fight. I remember it's funny because people think that since I'm in a hardcore band I should be like fighting, fighting everybody all the time. And I'm like <laughs> the last time I got in a fight was when. Joe Caro put his hand up Katie Rogerman's skirt, and then I fought him, which is a kid on the bus who, like, touched my girl, like, my friend who was a girl's butt, and I was like, are you kidding me? And then I, like, right. beat him up, and that was in, like, 10th grade, you know? Right. Not saying that I can't fight. I can defend myself, but I'm not a fighter. Yeah, you're, anyway. not, you're not looking out for it. No, nah, right. fuck that. Yeah. But, yeah, I was just, like, out all night, egging houses with my friends, like... Yeah, mischief. Mischief. And, and not thinking about what that was doing to somebody else, you know? Sure. But, like, also, like, there was anger behind it, too. Like, I was, like, pissed off at the world, too, and mm-hmm. it was weird. Like, I, I started dating... I've only, like, had one serious girlfriend my whole life. I started dating a girl when I was, like, 18. Okay. And that kind of took away a lot of the anger, and she showed me, like, a side of myself that I that I kind of got back to, you know? Okay. Which is weird, but, yeah, it was a long time when I was just, like, breaking stuff all the time, and I had, like, hate behind myself. I was, like, hate behind it, too. I was, like, I'm gonna mm-hmm. just, like fuck up this car i'm gonna like right break all these windows in this house and and now i'm like how could i have done those things it's right fucked up because yeah, i still think breaking stuff is awesome i have oh yeah 50 it's... bottles of kombucha in my room waiting to smash i'm just waiting for the right friend to do it with you know but i'm <laughs> not gonna course. smash it on on someone's house yeah driveway it. right yeah i'm gonna smash it in some fucking alley or something right right you know? right so in, it was just a kind of an indescribable rage. Like you yeah, just kinda, had that. Just, just like pissed off at the world. Yeah. You know? Sure. Which obviously I can see why hardcore attracted you. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, definitely. And so when did, because uh, was Backtrack like your first band or did you have something bef- going on before I that? I played, yeah, the, sh- the short answer is yes. Okay. I played um, bass in a band for one show, but I think I was turned off. I think I just needed to fill in or something. Right. And then I, there was this band called Hard to Earn. Okay. It's actually a, kind of a, weird and cool story this band called hard to earn it was this guy connor playing drums Mm -hmm. um and then i'm pretty sure it was two other guys mike and drew from staten island and then my friend steve singing and then he wound up leaving the band actually mike and drew might not have been in hard to earn it was maybe connor and some lindenhurst guys which is the town of long island okay so the guy steve couldn't do it anymore and he asked me if i wanted to, to like join the band so i joined the band we played two shows in the span of like a week on Long Island, I remember we played Give Back Records, which was a, a record store that Tunes did. This guy named Tunes, he was fucking sick. I mean, he is sick. He did it, and I bought a lot of records from him too, which probably molded me to who I am now. Sure. Um, 
played that show and then played a show on Long Island, and then we wound up breaking up because me and the <laughs> bass player got in a huge argument over which breakdown song to cover. And then we were like, yeah, let's just not do it. And uh, <laughs> so then Connor, the drummer, wanted to start another band, and he met these guys from Staten Island. Mm-hmm. And then it was so he was like, do you want to sing for this band? I was like, sure. And then we got my brother to play guitar, and we started this band. And I wound up having surgery on my shoulder a few months before that. So, which is another whole story. Yeah, what'd you do to it? Uh, we can we can go that that like remind me to talk about that with my first tour ever. Okay, because um, it's a pretty cool story. I think. <laughs> okay. Um. So. You just right, had, no, it's my, okay. You just you just had surgery. So on your just shoulder. had surgery. Things didn't really work out. Me and my brother wound up leaving the band, and then they got my friend Dan to sing, and then they wound up becoming Mind Piece. Which is I don't know if you remember them. They, were, they yeah, I remember they the band. They did a tour of Terror, and they put out a demo that's like people still fuck with hard. Yeah, and I'm glad because I think Dan did a better job than I would have done. So it was cool. Like <laughs> you're like, like I'm glad that didn't happen. That yeah. Way. So they did that band. They went to California. I came with them. They did a tour with Violation, mm-hmm. and then they wound up breaking up for you know one reason or the other, and then Backtrack started right away, right when I was like healthy. So that was kind of like a blessing in disguise that Mind Piece was able to do that like special legendary demo that people still talk about because right. I think that. Dan was more fitting for that style, and then backtrack started. So got it, got it. And did you? It happens for a reason, you know. Right, right. And did you always have that inclination that you obviously wanted to play in a band, and you felt like not, singing? Not really. Okay. I was always a mosher. I was always the kid that got in the van that was like, "Yeah, like let's let's go to the show, and I'm going to fucking mosh my ass off." I was about to say, "Were you dive until you know?" Right. So were you kind of the. Uh, you know, I always like to have, uh, or I always like to mention people that are, uh, you know, whatever, travel with their friends' bands and are kind of the activator. You know, they're the ones who are starting yeah. the pit, and they're the I'd ones. Say I'm the activator. I remember when you got when you had an interview with Biggie. Oh yeah, yeah, he was. He was like, oh dude, he was the activator, which I love to hear because I, I he was met, he, but, I met Biggie when he was thirty four, you know, right? Two year, two years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I didn't know him as like Biggie the Mosher. So that's he cool, was. Cool uh, he was kind of the worst activator. He was the guy really? that everyone would look at and just be like, "Oh, dude, fucking knock it off!" Like just because he would be. It's like obviously he's being enthusiastic about yeah. his friends' bands. Yeah, of course. I mean, we're him and I are very similar in a lot of ways, and I feel like <laughs> we were the same role sure. for our friends' bands. The, you, cool. you always got to have at least one or two people in the proverbial scene that you're in that are that. Where it's just like, "Oh, dude, we can totally count on James." Like, yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah, dude, come on. Like, we're playing Virginia yeah. Beach. Like, can you go down there and yeah. mosh with us? What I think, and I was actually having this conversation the other day with a friend's band who's on tour right now. Like, I love the the tour mosh where it's like you're on a tour with a band and everyone's moshing every night. Everyone's the activator. Like, That's you're, true. you're in a band and you're still an activator. Yep. We did a tour. It was like, I mean, almost, unless I'm in Europe or the tour is like huge, I'm, and I love a band, I'm moshing every day. Right. Like, <laughs> we did a tour of Trapped Under Ice. It was the big Kiss Goodnight tour. It was 50 days long. Yep. I was. 35 of those days I was probably moshing. The only days I wasn't was like the chain reaction where it's just so big that you can't even Yeah, you're not you're like you know? I don't need to activate anything. Not even need to, but just like can't. Like like when it's when the show is big, mm-hmm. I can't stage dive. I've had two surgeries on my shoulder, so yeah. I can't stage dive anymore. It's just right. heartbreaking. <laughs> it is what it is, you know. Right, right. I'm trying to stay on the baseball diamond, so I got to Yeah, you got to protect yourself. Yeah. Um, or I should say I'm trying to lift my hand over my head. Right, because that's what the the last doctor who did my surgery said. If you, if you dislocate your shoulder again, you're never gonna be able to lift your hand over your head. Okay, and so both bo- I pres- both of them was it like rotator cuff injuries? Like what was the uh, just, so connect just dislocation? I guess okay, connect connect the first the what you said with the first tour and the the story of you obviously hurting your shoulder. Okay, well my first tour ever was I was 18 years old 
I was about to graduate high school in three weeks, and um, the singer Guns Up messaged me on MySpace and said, "Hey, hit me back. I have a like a chance of a lifetime to talk to you about." And I was like, <laughs> "You're like, how, hey, can, how my, can they know my, that?" My gut feeling was. Is he gonna try to sell me some like Tiffany Dunk SBs? Because that was in like he was like a sneakerhead, and that was the era of like of course you know that Nike SBs. And I hadn't known those guys super well. I was there was a band called Caught Up, and they played a couple shows regionally together. And right. I'd always go with them and just, you I, just I loved casually them. knew him. Sure, yeah, I was just like I was just the mosher, like the little kid who just moshed every song. Right. So then he's like, "Hey, so we need a roadie, and we're doing this full US with Crime and Stereo." Verse and Blacklisted. Then we're doing a full US around Sound and Fury with Righteous Jams. And then we're doing an East Coast tour with Betrayal, not Betrayal, Betrayed Betrayed. and Internal Affairs. And I was like, hey man, like I appreciate that. That's fucking sick. But I graduated high school in three weeks. I can't do that. And Mm -hmm. then I was, we had the conversation through MySpace and I took a shower and I like had an epiphany and I was like, I'm never going to get to go on tour again. You know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I was 18. I didn't think I'd ever start a band, you know? Right. So then I was like, yo, fuck it, I'm down. And I, I told my parents, and they were like, boned, but supportive. You was, know? That, was that going to like actually jeopardize you graduating? Yeah, I just dropped everything. I think, And I think by the time the tour started, I continued going to school, and then I had seven days left, and I, and I fucking dropped out of high school. So you, uh, I'm a high school dropout. I do not have a GED. I have nothing. <laughs> that's just because you wanted to get on that tour. Wow, yeah. that's amazing. And I think, I mean, I think it was probably the best thing I ever did, because now, you know, then when Backtrack started, I mm-hmm. had a somewhat of a foundation on how to like run a band, right? How to make merch, how to how the processes, the process, sure. you know. And then now I, I took what I learned with Backtrack, and now I do it for other bands. Now I work with bands that I never thought I'd work with ever. So right, that's maybe a, it was a good thing, you know. That's nuts. So, so then how'd you hurt yourself? Well, I, going into that tour, I had shoulder issues, but nothing too crazy. I had I remember positive numbers two thousand four was at the, the firehouse and there was no stage so okay. people would like bend down up front and people would run and stage that off of them so it was a blacklisted show on long island and it's, it's funny if well yeah, never mind i won't even talk about that um i was and still am like a huge blacklisted fan like mm-hmm. their early records every time i saw them i was going nuts and right. lyrically they hit me hard too yep. so anyway i uh my friend bent down i went to go stage dive like jump off his shoulders landed on my shoulder dislocated my shoulder Went to the hospital, they popped it back in, and then it's with shoulder dislocations, it's a cumulative thing where each time you do it, you're causing more damage. So, still, just every show at that point was the last show, you know? Like, uh-huh. like I was moshing, it was the last show. Right, this is the last time I've ever done this. Yeah, exactly. Sure. So, wound up hurting myself constantly, went into that tour. I remember I dislocated my shoulder once, just I was just, just moshing and just came out. Whoa. And then I got like dropped off at the hospital, and then I remember. <laughs> um, on the, the later leg of the tour, and I met Corey Williams, mm-hmm. who he's a fucking nut, and I, I love him to death. I saw him last week, and it was so sick. And he was always like, kind of like no, knew that I was like the young like wild card, and kind of like riling me up. But I remember one time I was the first time I met. I don't know if I if I said their names, it would be fucked up. Yeah, don't I, I won't say their names. Okay, yeah, yeah. so I met two guys in Richmond who are still good <laughs> friends of mine now, and uh, we had a crazy night in Richmond, and I was. We were driving, they were driving me back to the house where we were staying at. And I was like, yo, do you guys want to go egg stuff? <laughs> Thinking that they'd say no. And they were like, right. yeah. Yeah, great idea. So, so we went to 7-Eleven and we bought eggs. And then I remember I went to go egg this frat house. Because in Richmond, I think a lot of the hardcore kids and the frat dudes kind of like yeah, that- constantly beef. So egg this frat house. 
I threw one egg and my shoulder just dislocated instantly. Wow. And I just got back in the car and I was like, yo, just drop me off at the hospital. And then they dropped me off and I was there alone and they put it back in. And sure. I don't even know how we started talking about this. Oh, so we talking, you, you, you mentioned the shoulder dislocation and yeah. yeah, so, yeah. so I had two surgeries on my shoulder, one surgery, things were <clears> fine. <throat> Heard it again. And this is hardcore. Had another surgery. Knock on. I've been good since. <laughs> That's but, good. But it's definitely, you know, affects did me you, regularly. Did you have to, uh, you know, obviously in the movie Die Hard, where John McClane needs to like, or no, 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 not, not Die Hard, a Lethal Weapon. Yeah, Mel Gibson. I know exactly what you're talking about. It's it's actually crazy. This is like I'm such a Punisher. I have another story. Like with the shoulder stuff, me me and my brother, uh-huh. we were like best friends, and we had a four year gap where we did not talk. And why he's he. I'll tell you, this is like, okay. I don't know how much, people are going to turn this off already, but this is no this is crazy. Um, so me and my brother, both hardcore kids, both straight edge, yep. both, like if anyone knows me, and like even now, like he came to Santa Barbara recently and like everyone met him, everyone's like, you guys are insane. Like right. very similar, very like same style of humor, things, sure. think the same things are funny and acceptable. So it's actually after our first one of our last band practice, our last band practice when of the, the band that went on to become Mind Peace. Okay, yeah. We used to, we loved each other, but when we fought, it was nuts. You like, fought like brothers, we fought right? fought like brothers. We'd, it'd start in the, the first, second story of our house, it would end down the street. Like, sure. Like, if you think about ECW hardcore matches, like, that's what it was. So, got in a huge fight, and I dislocated my shoulder, and I wound up snapping it back in, like, lethal weapon style. And this, this is early on in the shoulder issue uh-huh. era. And then I went down to him. I said, yo, I'm going to the hospital to get my shoulder checked out. But like, fuck you, motherfucker. Like, you just dislocated my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And then he threw a hockey stick at my face. <laughs> <laughs> like, threw a hockey stick at my face and like hit me in the face. I was like, all right, let's go. Like, so he yeah. kept, kept going. And then I was, I remember, I, uh, he was leaning on a pool table, like sitting on it kind of, and I was uh-huh. just swinging at him. Oh, and wow. he kicked me in the chest and I fell, tripped over and fell over a vacuum cleaner. That, kind of like a tabletop, you know, when you're at the beach yep. and you tabletop your friend. Yep. And then I fell on my shoulder and dislocated my shoulder and he kicked me in the face like seven times. Oh my God. And left me there for like hours to the point where like my mom got home and I was like screaming for help and the ambulance had to come. And anyone who's dislocated their shoulder, it's the fucking most, most painful pain, thing in the world. Only, yeah. I've broken my nose, I've, I've, I've broken my orbital, I've, I've broken my clavicle, but mm-hmm. dislocating my shoulder is like the worst thing in the world. So sure. three hours of just like, Laying there, like, just fucked up. Did you just leave the house? Yeah, he just bounced. He kicked me in the face, like, five times and just bounced. I don't say that was a way to slander my brother, you know? Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. he went on a, on a weird path and, like, stopped talking completely. He broke edge. Wound up getting, like, addicted to drugs pretty hard. Like, went down a dark path, yeah. Went down a dark path. And this year he went to rehab out in California in the valley where it was, like, convenient, where we kind of, like, reconnected. Sure. He went to rehab and we'd, like... I could see him every Sunday. Like he called me and like, yeah, kind of apologized because he like did some other stuff, you know, some other shitty things. Sure, sure. Most people that have drug problems do. Right. Kind of reconnected, got really close, and then he kind of like, now he's clean. Dude, and that's amazing. Like he lives, he lives in. He's kind of figuring it out now. It's still like within the six months of being sober, sure, clean. But he's dude, that's he's incredible. In, he's in Mexico right now, like, <clears throat> living at a bed and breakfast, and like pretty much working to cover his cost of living, and right. just like surfing every day because he's really into like bodyboarding and stuff, and stuff like that sure, yeah sure. So dude that's that, like, that was a big blow for my family and 
Well, it's great that he's able to come around. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy that you can say one thing and then I have a crazy story about that, but that's that's, a crazy story that I've told some good friends, but I don't talk about it very much, but well, it's really, it's, it's obviously it's, it's meaningful because I think anybody that obviously has a sibling that goes through those dark times, sometimes you don't ever feel like that's going to ever come back, you know, but it's like your story. Obviously it's like, dude, people, honestly, I I even gave him another chance just because I knew how much it was killing my mom and I want to being so happy that I did because now we're close again and it's right. sick and it feels great. That's so, so good, dude. Well, congratulations. Yeah. That's Thanks, really man. exciting. Appreciate that. Um, I'm some a fucking punisher. See, you you're not. One dude, these are, these are, this is exactly, if you were doing a traditional interview, this would be horrible because they would be like, oh, how yeah, am I going to use I any of say this? like what my fa- top three favorite bands are. This is a cool, cool interview because of course, of course. You're peeling back some layers right now. Oh, you are such in luck. This is, I'm so excited about this. So you've heard me talk about the complete meal in a bottle drink called Soylent before on the show. But dude, holy shit. They just blew my mind. So it's like a couple weeks ago, they started taking out ads in the show. And I was like, oh my God, this is amazing because I love the product. And I think you should too. And I've actually gotten some feedback from people that have tried this out and said it's awesome. But they've introduced a new drink called Coffeeist. So what it is, it's a nutritionally complete, ready-to-drink, balanced breakfast blended with light coffee. Are you kidding me? This could not be more for me and I think for you as well. So what it does is it's got 20% of all your daily nutritional needs as well as 150 milligrams of caffeine, which is basically like a cup of coffee. And it's a very, very light coffee flavor. So for those of you that are like, oh, I don't like strong coffee, whatever, this is perfect. It kind of tastes like a mocha and it just, oh my gosh, I love it. So they sent me a box. I tried it. I was... my mind was blown. I was like, dude, are you kidding me? So I can have this like maybe for breakfast, maybe in the middle of the day, you know, when you feel that like two o'clock slump and let's be clear, this is a complete meal. So you're not just like, oh, I'm going to have a cute little bar and like, maybe that'll get me through. It's like, yo, I have this thing for lunch. I am good the rest of the day. So please, Coffeeist is now available at Soylent.com slash 100 words. And for every case of Coffeeist purchase, Soylent will donate a meal to someone in need through the World Food Program of the United States of America. Are you kidding me? You buy this and they give people food? Dude, just please do this right now. So make sure to use the promo code COFFEEST, which is C-O-F-F-I-E-S-T, to enjoy an additional 10% off your first month subscription at Soylent.com slash words. So please, Soylent.com backslash words. COFFEEST is the promo code, and it will give you so much joy like it's given me joy. So please, try Soylent, try COFFEEST. Your life will change, I promise. Well, it was, it was funny. I, the, the, I was actually, um, something that always perplexes me. So anytime I'm preparing for, you know, speaking to someone such as yourself or other people, like, you know, I just had, uh, Thomas from foundation on, like, I listened to that in the way home uh, there way down. Yeah. There are so many, uh, obviously everybody interviews a lot of different bands and like, obviously hardcore bands get covered, you know, semi-regularly in certain outlets, but realistically no one interviews hardcore bands. Like, in the grand scheme of things, you know, mm-hmm. like that you're, you're not, obviously you're not going to see pitchfork or any of the other music publications that care about hardcore bands. And that's fine because that's not what they're going for. Yeah. But I just always find it funny when I'm like, you know, just doing some simple Google research on people like yourself yeah. or Thomas or any, even people who are in, did you see my criminal graffiti case when you Googled me? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> that's That's incredible. Yeah. Anyways, point being, I just find it so funny that no one, just no one covers 
this genre of music in a very sort of exhaustive way where I feel yeah. like every other genre of music gets covered. You know, it's like you can read about every single wave of emo music that has happened since the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. And then you're just like, well, you know, maybe some people kind of talk about hardcore from the mid nineties. Yeah. I just find it so bizarre. Like, do you, I mean, do you recognize yeah, that? Do no, you kind of see sense. that? I think that comes down to like the DIY thing where maybe people like bigger companies and bigger platforms will cover mm-hmm. play, like different genres of music, like emo and stuff like that. Like you said, right. like the pitchfork and sure. But I think a lot of like I did a zine yeah. and, I, and I don't think that like a basic zine is bad. I think that it's very healthy for right. hardcore, but I think that you lose the extensive conversation, you yeah. know, like where I think I would, ask, I did a zine <clears throat> called down to the felt and I asked like stupid basic questions sure. and just made it a cool zine where I'd have like reviews and show reviews, but it wasn't, Peeling back the layers of people in bands, which I think, right. from what I heard from other podcasts you've done, sure. seems like you're doing. Yeah. And right now I'm talking about just insane <laughs> things. So, <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad. Yeah. Um, so, like, like I was mentioning earlier, where you know you obviously uh, took a vested interest in sort of you know the business side and the structure of obviously how to operate a band, and then obviously you have sensed you know you were obviously booking for backtrack and getting you know tours for yourselves and stuff like that. Um, what I guess what kind of drew you to that aspect of it was it the fact that obviously you've always been interested in the sort of like you know whatever working at your parents' deli and stuff like that, and you kind of attribute it to that, or is it just like Oh, I felt kind of like I, I understood this, so that's why I did that for the band. Um, I've always had a strong work ethic, but I never... Early years of Backtrack, I, I didn't think like, oh, I want to work with bands. You know, that wasn't really how it, how it went. Mm-hmm. Um, it was pretty much like a gun-to-your-head situation where it's like, we got asked to do a tour with Foundation in Harm's Way. We need to know in a week, but we need to get a van. Like, Backtrack doesn't have a van. So it's just like... Backs against the wall, mm-hmm. need to make stuff happen kind of thing. And then it got to the point where, and I'll give a shout out slash credit to Ricky who plays guitar and backtrack as well. Mm-hmm. He, he does a lot of the, I'll say for, instead of say business, I'll say bullshit. Like right. just in terms of getting, you yeah. know, logistics, getting, right. getting things done. I think that we've had errors where he's been more mm-hmm. involved or I've been more involved. But I think ultimately, whether it's him or myself, it's like, if someone doesn't do it, we're not going to go on tour. Right. So it wasn't a situation where I was like, oh, I love logistics. I love cleaning up bullshit. It's like, right. I want to go on tour with my friends' bands, but... We got to make this happen We got to make somehow. this happen. Like, there, there needs to be somebody who's got like a realistic vision and, mm-hmm. and is making things happen. You know, whether it be Ricky or myself, and we've kind of bounced back and forth. You know, mm-hmm. he'll do certain things, I'll do certain things, or there's been eras where it's like all Ricky or all me. You know? Right, right. And then ultimately, when I wanted to work with other bands, I always had this thing because I, I toured early on with Guns Up and I'd, I'd kind of like analyze things. And I just never wanted to be like 27 and be like, because I was backtrack 100%, you know? But of then course. I got to the point where I was like 23 and I was like, you know what? I want to keep doing the band, but I don't want to be 27 years old and have my band break up and be like, okay, well, maybe I'll go back to high school. You know, I'm <laughs> a fucking high school dropout, you know? Right, right. So. That's when I hit up, uh, you know, the dude who booked us was this guy named Bailey, who mm-hmm. you may or may not know. He, yep. he booked us, and I was just like, "Hey, do you like need an assistant or anything?" Like, I didn't have even the end goal of booking bands; more just kind of seeing how things worked and seeing what it was like to have, you a, to have, a, have a job, you know? Sure. Because I, I, I always had a job; I always made sure I had a job. I like managed the subway, worked for my parents, like 
worked at a Quiznos too, worked at a bagel shop when I was fucking 14, always had a job. Sure. And I didn't like that I was like touring and then not having something to kind of like work on. Yeah. You know? So, and then he was pretty much like, Hey, I'm starting my own booking agency. Like you can just start working with me. Mm-hmm. So then I started hitting up my friends bands and I was like, Hey, like, can I book your band? Like, I want to like help yeah. you guys help facilitate things. And incendiary was the first band that I started booking and they were like, yeah, we're down. Like we trust you, but we're probably going to play like 10 shows a <laughs> right. year. <laughs> right. And I was like, cool. Well, let's make the 10 shows you play really as good. good as possible, you mm-hmm. know? And that's what kind of happened. And I think that, you know, did you, did between you, them like putting out an amazing record records right. consistently and giving it a hundred percent. I think that we've been smart on the steps we've taken and like the, the 10 shows that we do play, we make sure we're like strategic. Mm-hmm. And I think that they've grown to be a staple band that can play anywhere in the world and have it be good. Yeah, really good. You know? So, and then that kind of just like spiraled where I'd book other bands that I was friends with. And then I kind of went to good fight last year and started managing. Right. So, which I, I like more because I think booking is kind of mechanical to the point where you're like, it's very isolated. It's like, okay, this band gets, this much money here's mm-hmm. the contract blah 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 but management is like big picture and you're like living and dying with the band like right like uh well i was i was gonna bring it up later but the uh obviously you know when you stepped in a good fight you were taking care of turnstile yeah and the um that i mean turnstile is such a you know weird band to begin with obviously and then on top of all of that once you have i mean i i saw it for the years that i worked at century media records where it was like once one label started to show an interest in a band from a sort of you know larger level everybody came running and like that's exactly mm-hmm. what i saw with turnstile where it was like once one label started to get interested everybody was just like yo what's up with that turnstile band like yeah everybody should be talking so like was that because that was essentially the first band that you quote unquote managed right yeah Correct. So was that really weird being kind of thrust into that situation of being like, oh, wow, like we're fielding a lot of offers and we're no, like... No, it was great because it was like a crash course. Like my first <laughs> right. month at Good Fight, we're talking to like four different labels. Sure. Finding, because I was their booking agent, so I had stepped down. Finding a new booking agent, so we're talking to, you know, a few different people. Or right. people here that I'm stepping down and then... Everyone's getting hit Shapiro's them up. Dave calling me being like, hey, I heard you're not booking Turnstile anymore. Like, can we talk? Yeah. So it was great. I mean, like... First off, Turnstile is probably my favorite current band, so it's cool. Yeah. I love all the guys. And being able to work on a level like that initially, like yeah. working with having labels calling us, saying right. that they want to talk, <laughs> is just cool. So it was like a crash course right off the bat where yeah. generally I feel like you start with the band and as things progress, you kind of, oh, well, this label wants to talk or this guy wants to talk. And it was like, manage Turnstile, I'm on the phone or emailing from mm-hmm. 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. for the first month, which I love. Like, I want to jump right in, you know? Right. And and I think, yeah, that's... It just felt good. Yeah, it felt that's good. That's cool. That's awesome. Well, yeah, because yeah, cool. I, I mean... And I'm sure, obviously, that it's in the back of your head, you were also being like, whoa, like, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm, I'm figuring this out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, like, in a sense, you got to fake it till you make it, but I... Right. You know, the, the part of the great thing about going to Good Fight is that people here, people there have done stuff before. Like, Yeah. Like, you're not alone, If right? it's not, if Biggie doesn't have a direct answer, then somebody else does, you know? So I've, I've never felt like I was lost at sea yeah. with anything. Yeah, yeah. And, and I wouldn't, same thing with any band that I work with, I would never come to them and, like, offer my services if I felt like I would be in the dark, like grasping for straws, you know, right, like, I know, right. I know, for, I think I have, a, I feel confident that I have a good feel on the way things work. And if I don't, I'm the first person to say like, 
hey, like I don't know if this is the right fit. You've done this before. How do we do this? You know, so yeah, I, I have yeah. no problem reaching out to somebody if, if I don't think that I have a, a good idea of what's going on. Sure. So I would never want to. I think there's nothing worse than like w- someone working for you and they don't know what's going on. You yeah. Know? So I take that very seriously and I, I don't. Yeah, you don't you know, take I, it lightly. I have no I have no problem asking for asking someone for help. Mm-hmm. And I think that between Good Fight and other things, I have a great network to make Reach sure out things to. are running smoothly. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Um Obviously, since you since Backtrack has taken, you know, uh, obviously not as active as approach as far as touring is concerned. You guys obviously still tour, but it's very selective, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, especially because uh, what I always like to call uh, many hardcore bands retirement plans. Obviously, Europe, <laughs> like touring in Europe, mm-hmm. where it's like. And the thing that I find so interesting about that, because like I, I first became aware of of the importance of Europe in you know sort of older or legacy hardcore bands, which like you know when I was when I signed like Sick of It All and Ignite to Century Media, and then watching how it's like they could play in front of three hundred people here in California, but then play in front of you know whatever twenty five thousand people. Obviously, it's at a festival, but like mm-hmm. the 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 time span that people pay attention to bands over in Europe is just so much longer. Yeah, and like you That's definitely true. You would have to put out like six bad records in a row for people to finally be in Europe for people to be like, I'm not, I'm not following along. You yeah. Know? You've, but you've, you've definitely noticed that yourself where it's like the, yeah, I guess I, the, the, the support over there lasts a lot longer. Yeah. I can definitely agree with that where I think fans have a wider attention span in Europe compared mm-hmm. to the U S I think people are a little more loyal too. I don't think that, I mean, I know like Backtrack does okay in Europe. Like we have right. like, <clears throat> we're not a band that goes to Europe and crushes it financially by any means. We've been going to Europe more than we've been touring the States, mainly because people over there will get, won't get burnt out as quickly. You know, we haven't put right. a record out in a while and, you know, some of the guys still want to play shows because it's fun and we love to do it, but we also acknowledge that maybe touring America doesn't make sense until we have a new record, you know, which, right. which I totally back. And we went to Europe recently and I'll be honest, I didn't want to go because we didn't have a record, but the mm-hmm. guys wanted to go, and sure. So I, you did it, right? So I took one for the team, I guess you could say. And right, no disrespect to Europe, like the European hardcore scene is, is amazing, you know. Uh-huh. So, but it's also like, I want to put the record out, and I want to make sure, right, that there's renewed interest and in- yeah, exactly. So right, I see what you're saying, but in terms of Europe being like our retirement plan, like yeah, I, I could, like the. <laughs> For some we, bands, we, it happens, we, obviously. For some bands, absolutely, and that's great, and God bless them, but Backtrack is not one of them. Like, we went over there and, like... Yeah, barely, barely squeaked broke, by. Yeah, right. broke even. Like, we, did, we did some festivals, and it was cool, like, cool right. for exposure and, like, a fun experience. We toured mm-hmm. with a band called Higher Power, and mm-hmm. they were fucking awesome. Right. It was cool, like, seeing them in their early stages. Like, they just put a 7-inch out, and they're really excited about touring, and it's it's kind of cool yeah, that see, useful energy. Sure. Yeah, exactly. See it like go full circle. Where mm-hmm. where we're still excited to tour. There's no doubt about it. But we're not. You've not seen new, you've, you know? right. Like, yeah, you've not, seen a lot so of the seeing stuff. them like as excited as they were was was cool. Yeah, but no, that's really exciting. Yeah. Um, keying back into something that you were saying a little bit earlier, because um, I think this is an important idea to hit on. Where it's like you were saying where. You know, like you, like you said, this week was like for you just being like, oh, like, do, you know, do I quit everything and like work at Starbucks? Like the, the sort of, uh, you know, aging process that obviously happens within the context of, of, you know, being involved in independent music. People either obviously, um, you know, are still able to do like whatever their nine to five jobs and still, you know, be supportive over music. But then a lot of people, their time 
just becomes more valuable and they're just like, Oh, I can't, it's not even a matter of like going to as many shows. It's just a matter of like, Oh, I don't have the attention span for this anymore or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so like, you know, it's a multiple part question, but just like the idea of like, obviously once you started to tour less and focus on, you know, your, your <laughs> real life and business principles, but still attached to the hardcore scene. Um, you know, I'm sure that you have a lot of thoughts that are kind of connected into watching yourself age within the context of independent music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well, first thing I want to say is the, the, the Starbucks comment. Sure. Like, I kind of want to address that because... No, please. Yeah, yeah. I don't mean that as like, if you work at Starbucks, it's a bad thing. Like, No, 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 I, no, no, no. I mean more like like a job. I use Starbucks as a reference because I want to get coffee later, so I'm going to okay. go there. Of course. Um, <laughs> but more just like, like I was playing softball with my friend the other day, and he was saying they were making plans for the next day, and he yeah. said, I don't have anything to do until 4 o'clock tomorrow. Right. And like, I never have... Oh yeah, that doesn't exist. I, I can never punch in and punch out and just like check it at the door. Like my work, I'm living and dying with it. You know, so like when mm-hmm. things are going great, it's fucking great. When things are going bad, I'm affected. You know, to the point where like my brain is always thinking. To the point where like I feel like I can't even date a girl in a sense because I'm like always on the clock. You know, I don't, I don't mean that as like a, to complain, but I mean like when things are bad, uh-huh. they. You, you're so invested emotionally. Sure. So it's just like, it's not, well, tough. It's, it's not just a job for you. Like no, it, it's not, it, obviously it's a means in the sense yeah, of like, it's obviously course. making you money, but it's not because obviously a lot of like, you know, using a nine to five job when people clock out at five, they're they gone. don't, right. They don't care about, they're like, well, I got to go to work the next day and maybe deal with some of the existing problems. But like, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm checking out. Because, I think that's the problem with like loving your job. Cause at the end of the day, I fucking love what I do. Like right. I know, I know that there's like people out there that say this or that about me. And like, I don't care. Like I love what I do. Like I work with some of the coolest bands in the world right now. And I fucking love that. And right. like, I was telling my friend yesterday, like 300 days of the year, I fucking love my job or I love what I'm doing. Right. 65 days out of the year, it's fucking tough. And right. I had a, you know, maybe out of 65 of those days, I had maybe 10 in a row. And that's when I was like, damn, I'd love to be able to just punch in and punch out and just turn my brain off, you know? Because I think part of the reason why I'm in the spot that I'm in is because my brain is fucked up and I overthink a lot of things and I'm constantly thinking. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a blessing and a curse where it's, it's gotten, it's spawned a lot of great ideas. Right. But it's also put, it hin- me, put me in a dark place mentally at times, you know? Yeah, of course. So, and did but you- I think, I think like in order to be good at your job, like you need to give a shit. Like you, you can't have someone work for your band and not be affected by the things that are negatively affecting a band. You know, when a band goes through some shit, whether it be. Yeah. Bad a, tour a, dates a, or whatever. Ta- yeah. A, taxes yeah like audit audits or a bad show or a van flip like if your dude who manages your band isn't affected by that and he can just say like all right well let's get him next time then i think that you got issues you know not saying that everyone needs to be at the edge of a cliff who manages (laughs) bands but i mean right you know I'm, i'm emotionally invested and when certain things are are tough it's you know yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, yeah. You can't just uh, put your head down and be like, "Well, you know, that'll figure time. itself out." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the same thing too is like, I'm not happy until things are running smoothly, you know. And it's like right. when there's things that take time, it's like, well, it might be a rough couple of days, couple of weeks, couple of months. What you know? Right. 
But as long yeah. as there's, yeah, as long as there's a uh, forward progression of like, okay, well, we're in this together. It sucks yeah. right now, but like, let's try to get through yeah, this sure. in some capacity. Yeah. Um, and the last thing I want to hit on was the, uh, the fact that like, like you were mentioning earlier where, you know, a lot of people obviously look at touring and they're like, oh my gosh, it's the pinnacle. It's the best thing of all time. Like, you know, but they don't realize obviously there's a lot of, um, you know, negative things that happen on tour in regards to like just being gone for so long and like all of the, the things that a lot of people speak about, um, but maybe not speak about in a very public form. Um, mm-hmm. you know, wh- when, for you, did you kind of realize like, yo, being gone nine, ten, nine, ten months out of the year, like that's not like sustainable for me as a human being. Like, mm-hmm. was it, was it that sound and fury? Like that was kind of a, a real breaking point or was it? No, that out? was, I mean, we, we went, we took that and we, continued to tour more than ever after that. I right. think honestly, and this is going to sound weird. I think, uh, for me, it was the reality of kind of blowing a relationship with someone that I cared about. Yeah. Uh, that doesn't sound weird. It, it sounds, maybe it doesn't sound weird. It sounds totally normal, but it's, it's like a weird thing to talk about as, as a hardcore band when you're like, maybe everyone expects you to be this like tough guy, you know? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, like I dated a girl for like eight years and I toured a lot and didn't give her, um, enough attention and didn't really th- thought long term, you know? Yeah. And didn't think short term. And I think the reality of that setting in was like, well, you know, yeah, well, yeah, yeah eye opening. And to the point where I was like, couldn't imagine not touring full time. Like when I was like 24, 25, but then when I got a little older and that reality kind of hit me, I was like, it's almost hard to get in the van now, you know, like yeah. I, it, it takes a lot for me to get in the van now. And I think that maybe that might be some of the reason why backtracks slowed down a little bit. I, I'm kind of in a spot where I'm mentally picking up the pieces and kind of like, Right, seeing what you want to do from that perspective. Yeah, exactly. Like, sure. I, I still love backtrack. I still love touring. I think that our next record is is a lot of the things going on right now are going to be reflected in our next record, which will be a good thing. Mm-hmm. But um, in terms of like touring nine, ten, ten months out of the year, it's like taxing. It's like, that was yeah, that was the wall. Well, I mean, that's I, yeah. I think everyone has an issue where it kind of gets them out of like the full time game. And yeah. Some people stay longer than others. I'm not out by any means. I'm still looking forward to putting out a record and touring, but I want it to be done smart to the point where i can get in the van and be excited and not right. be like all right this is what i have to do right yeah, yeah. you want it to be meaningful because i think yeah that's, exactly i, I think, think that's it's easy to get lost in it, totally things, you know? where it's like yeah you just it, <clears throat> if and you feel routine right to the point where you like take things for granted and <clears throat> taking a step back and like really analyzing is uh is what i needed to do and and right. then uh you know we'll get back to hitting the road a little bit more once sure. that's figured out right well, it's good. I mean, it's good that you were able to, because sometimes that moment c- comes too late for people where like they're, you know, the, the train has already left the station. They have like, no, cause like, you know, there are so many people that you look at that exist in our world and you're like, I don't know what you're going to do after this band. I don't know. Like, you know, the, like you don't yeah. have any sort of, you know, which is okay. I mean, I think some, to some extent, I think I yeah. overthink things too much and I think I need to live in the moment, you know? So I, I have yeah. no, I have no issues with anyone who's like, I'm going to do this band until I'm, I'm over it and then I'm going to figure it out. You know, I think, yeah, that's true. I think some people are, are better at like ending a chapter and then starting a new chapter right. for me, just based on my background and the way I've been so unorthodox with like dropping out of high school and having like, sure health issues, you know, where like maybe if like I wanted to go to the army or something, like I can't because I fucked up my shoulder stage diving. So I've right. always been conscious of, of like the limitations I've set on myself from living an unorthodox life. Sure. So that's why I've always been like 
very cautious of the future, but I in no way think that touring with no plan is a bad move for everybody. You know, I think that some people are better at adjusting than others. And I think that for me, I just needed to have something, some sort of end goal. Right. Right. Some sort of vision, some sort of vision. Exactly. Instead of just being like, all right, I'm going to fucking Right. Play until my hands fall off. Sure. You know? <laughs> and then you're like, well, eh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that makes sense. That's definitely, it's a mentality that you approach these things with. Mm-hmm. And like, not everybody, like you said, has the same mentality as you. And like, I didn't, I, I didn't really ever view it from that perspective, but it does make sense. Like, cause I, I just always get concerned of people where it's like, I don't, you know, I, I don't know what you're going to do with your, you know, your throat tattoos and your hand tattoos. And like, you mm-hmm. know, once you decide to not be a part of this anymore, like I, I just get, you know, it's like as fatherly as it sounds, it's like, I just get concerned about what you're going to do. And like, not even so much from, uh, like, are you still gonna be involved in the scene? But just like, you know, what are you, what are you going to do? Like, yeah. what are you going to be a, uh, you know, a, uh, member of society and like contribute in some capacity? Or are you just going to be, you know, a, a low life trying to, uh, try to continue to do bands until you're like, you know, 65 years old, because that, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes that becomes a very sad cycle where you're just like, Oh yeah, man, I can see that. you can, I, mean, I think on. it's case by case, you know, it totally everyone's is. got their vision. Everyone's got their, <laughs> yeah, their plan, their plan. And everyone's got their like levels where they can be happy. You know, like, yeah. some people need more to be happy. Some people can, you know, right. Tour manage forever and be happy. And that's sick, you know? Yeah, totally. So. That's true. Well, I really appreciate you hanging out. Yeah. This, this is fun. I'm, Sorry. I'm a fucking punisher. You, this is the, <laughs> this is the, you're not a punisher because, okay, I, well, cool. first of all, I, I invited you into my house. I appreciate that. It's a great house. <laughs> It'd be a different story if it was, uh, you know, you talking to me for an hour at a show and I was like, I gotta, I gotta go. I gotta go and you're something. Just like, yeah. Okay. <laughs> but thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> so there was James. I was going to go booyah like I like to do sometimes at the end of these interviews, but um, yeah, I decided not to. So, uh, yeah, thanks to James for coming over to my studio slash house. And, um, yeah, we could have chopped it up for a lot longer because I could tell he was uh, excited to share some stories. And he told some great stories. And I like it when people, um, well, not come prepared, but uh, come come ready to share. That's the best way to put it. Because um, I know sometimes that uh, it's it might be a little strange to be like, what am I going to talk to this person about for an hour? And granted, a lot of these people that I have on the show are obviously my friends or I've met before. But, you know, it could be intimidating to just be like, all right, talk for an hour. Granted, a lot of people that comes naturally, but then there's some that I've had in the show where it's, uh, you know, we've had to come to that spot together and I've been able to usher people through that. But yeah, James came prepared. So uh, yeah, check out his band, Backtrack, and obviously check out the band that he manages, Turnstile, but I don't need to tell you that because everyone knows who Turnstile is anyway. So uh, thank you very much to Lowercase Noises for providing the music as they always do. And visit the show's website, 100wordspodcast.com, and please support the sponsors because the more feedback and visits you get to the page and, you know, purchasing certain services and products, it helps out the show tremendously. I I can't tell because basically this is how it goes. So people place ads on the show. People listen to ads in the show. And then the client, a.k.a. the person placing the ad on the show, looks at these links, looks at how many people have bought stuff, and then they're able to figure out whether or not this was a wise investment of their monetary funds. So please do that, because that, that way I'm not going to be you know in a spot where it's like, oh yeah, how about, a, how about you spend a dollar an episode that I release? It's like, no, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get there. So this is the way, this is the, the social contract that you and I have entered. So support the show that way. Anyways, uh, the guest next week is a very, very cool one. Greg Antoni. 
or Antonini, Antononi, whatever. Greg from Bouncing Souls. That's what I know him as. And uh, he's the vocalist for the band. And I was so excited to be able to speak to him because uh, I love the Bouncing Souls. And it was a, a thrill for me. So that is next week. And please be safe, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.